You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1289 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Sunday into Monday, and today's podcast is actually going to be mailbag-driven. I appreciate you listening to the show, as always, making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, across the board in the podcast realm. And as I mentioned a second ago, a mailbag-driven episode today. I do want to say a couple of things at the top of the podcast, a couple of plugs to hit on as we transition from July to August. This is, this is I guess, episode one in August. And uh, in recent days, and really all through July, we were very, very busy on this podcast. And uh, the last episode that we recorded with, with, was with Matthew Tynan, a Spurs expert. Matthew is very smart about DeJounte Murray and all, and all kinds of things on the Spurs side. But that was a full-blown deep dive into Murray at the end of last week. Hopefully you enjoyed that podcast if you listened to it already. If not, catch up on that one. Previously, Glenn Willis, Peachtree Hoops, joined the show about all the young guys on the Hawks roster. All kinds of stuff on the Sharif Cooper decision from his uh, two-way deal to being waived by the Hawks. We had some crossover shows with Locked On Wizards in the last couple of weeks. A fun two-part deep dive, as always, with Howard Jones, friend of the podcast there. And uh, even before that, we had Wes Morton and Graham Chappell, Robbie Callen, Brian Geisinger on AJ Griffin, etc. So it's been very busy on the show. Hopefully everybody's uh, keeping track of all that stuff on the archive. And please subscribe and do all that fun stuff. Today's pod, again, mailbag-driven, just me on this podcast. And my last one, at least knock on wood, for a while on the road, as you can probably see if you're listening on YouTube or watching YouTube, I should say. I am still away from home as I record this, but by the time you listen to it, maybe on Monday, I'll be getting close to home at this point in time. And uh, there are some of these questions that are kind of newsy as well. I try to use the ones that are more, uh, let's just say, present-facing, and I do have some more coming up. But I will say we are definitely going to be in some need of mailbag questions over the next few weeks as the doldrums are officially here in the NBA world. So if you have a question... Please get it to us on Twitter at LockedOnHawks or to me at, on Twitter at BT Rowan. We also have an email address. It is LockedOnHawks at gmail.com. And all those places you can find us to submit some mailbag questions if you have them in the coming days. So first one comes from Steven. And actually, I will say this is just the one that I picked. There were several on this topic. Uh, and his question is, are you going to weigh in on John Collins' finger? It looked bad on the photo that I saw. And I'm wondering if that is why he wasn't traded or why he's even playing at this point in time. So... For reference, Collins played alongside Troy Young in the Drew League about a week ago as I'm recording this podcast. There was a photo making the rounds at that point in time that showed Collins still dealing with a uh, finger that does not look very good on his shooting hand. If you remember this from the season, or if, maybe if you don't remember this from the season, uh, he had two different injuries at the, end of the, at the end of the year, and it cost him a lot of time. One, and the more, and the more interesting, and I would say the more um, pressing issue at the time, was the plantar fascia issue that Collins had in his foot. That kept him out of action for quite some time. He's able to come back at the end, but he's not quite himself when he came back. And also this lingering finger problem, which was, uh, there were plenty of photos from it at that time. I know Chris Crusher shared one at one point. It was enormous and gross looking and had limited flexibility on that shooting hand, on that one finger that he has. I shared the photo of Collins that I saw from the Drew League, and someone tagged Jeff Stotts in it, actually, who's a legitimate NBA injury expert. And he said the following. He said, quote, it looks like a pretty nasty boutonniere deformity, end quote. Uh, he, he also said that he, he thought it was actually surprising that Collins didn't have surgery on it. But crucially, what he said, and I, I take Stotts at his word here, is that, quote, it looks worse than it actually is, end quote. And that's actually what I've been kind of told behind the scenes as well. And from what I hear, 
they didn't think that Serger was the best option for Collins, and he's not had pain in the finger right now. It could be limiting him a little bit, I would say, in terms of flexibility and motion on that finger, and also it's on a shooting hand. But also, this is not like an exact science here, but I think I firmly believe that the Hawks will not be wanting him to play in the Drew League in front of a national audience also, because those, those guys are actually being broadcast. Um, if there's actually a real concern with the finger at this point in time, I am all I'm hearing basically is downplaying of the severity or the interesting nature of that injury. Obviously, it looks bad, but um, I would say this. It's not great, necessarily. It does not look great by now, but a lot of guys in football and basketball in particular have very ugly fingers when you actually see them up close because of all the jams and catches and all that kind of stuff that things happen over the course of a basketball or football career. I'm kind of always skeptical in nature about things that I'm told, but from what I hear, um, at least behind the scenes, it's not going to be a major issue. The fact that he's playing public basketball in July on that finger is not exactly the, uh, the worst thing in the world. If you want to say that there, uh, there's some confidence there in him playing, um, you know, is it great? No, but at the same time, I am not concerned. And as far as the trade thing is concerned, I would just say this um, by all indications, this is not a concern that teams would have or that the Hawks really have for him long-term. So uh, the way that I would put it is that perhaps it was a small, small, small factor in some trade concern somewhere, but um, there's this notion that, that that's why he wasn't traded. That's, that's completely not the case from what I understand. Um, I'm sure that uh, it would be a little bit easier if he had been able to be finished in the season healthy, but really the thing that impacted him more on the court was the plantar fascia issue more so than the finger issue. And I think that injuries were not really the reason why he was not traded in the offseason. As I said, a lot of times on this show and might even say again in a moment, uh, the Hawks are looking for a lot for John Collins. It has to do with the fact that they want to get a starting caliber power forward back for him plus more. And uh, when you ask for full price for a player and also have kind of stipulations in the deal, it makes it a lot harder to actually find that kind of trade. And uh, that's why part of why he's going to be still on the roster at this point in time. So this is a sort of a follow-up from that. Not necessarily a mailbag question, but a couple people tagged me in this, but Real GM rounded up some comments from Zach Lowe of ESPN on a podcast episode from him earlier this week. That were interesting. Um, Zach said on his podcast, quote, there has been some Miami and John Collins chatter. It is old. It might be months old. I don't think it was ever really serious at all. They might revisit that, end quote. So I also heard this chatter back when the Collins rumors were at their height back around the draft, like mid to late June, when it was like really seemed like he was going to get traded for sure, or at least close to it. Um, uh, by the way, I was always some, at least I, 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 the entire way, I kind of made sure to never say it was going to be happening for sure, because I never thought it was going to happen for sure. But it certainly seemed like there was a lot of evidence that he might get traded back then. Anyway, I think the short answer here, and really, the honestly, in a lot of ways, the complete answer there on Collins and Miami is the following. I think that there's not really a deal to be had between those two teams. Now, on Miami's side, there are team, there are guys in that roster that, that, that they're not going to trade for John Collins. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and from what I understand, Tyler Hero would not be available for John Collins. Now, I think John Collins is better than Tyler Hero, but if you're the Heat, uh, they seem to like him more than I do, for sure. And uh, Re-Hero, and also you're not going to necessarily want to flip that around and trade one guy for the other. Um, also, the Hawks don't really benefit from Tyler Hero in the way that some other teams would. They don't really need that kind of player. Anyway... Long story short, it kind of has to include Duncan Robinson for salary matching purposes. And uh, basically that contract, while I like Duncan a lot as a Michigan guy, and as he, he's still a great shooter, that contract is not a positive value right now. It's not a crazy disaster contract because he can still shoot and everyone would like to have that shooting on their roster. But nobody in the league, I don't think, would give him that trade that, that deal right now if he was available in free agency. So, and beyond that, Miami's kind of, um, they don't have a ton of like assets that they want to trade either. The whole problem with the Heat is they don't, they don't really have a starting caliber power forward either. And obviously the Hawks want one back in any deal for John Collins because they're not going to go into the season, no matter how much Hawks fans might like that, with Jalen Johnson as a starting power forward. That's not going to happen. So uh, all that said, 
I, I know why Miami would want John Collins. He would help them quite a bit, and they lost P.J. Tucker in the offseason. They don't really have a starting caliber power forward on that team right now, but that's part of the reason why the Hawks would not be interested in this kind of two-way deal. Maybe if there's a three-team deal out there that I just don't see, perhaps. But, you know, Collins is from South Florida in a lot of ways. He spent a lot of time there, uh, et cetera. But I think that, uh, long story short, I don't really see an avenue for a deal with Miami and Atlanta, which is probably why those things never actually can fruition. But um, for the trade machine psychos out there, that people, I know I'm one of those people that loves this kind of stuff. Um, Duncan Robinson and everything else that Miami could offer was probably the best way they could possibly do that. But I can't really see that happening in the near future. At any rate, Collins still on the roster. It is now August as you're listening to this podcast. And uh, it's not to say that they, that they couldn't be trading him in the near future. You know, training camp deals do happen in the NBA. But generally speaking, this is kind of a downtime for trade chatter. And uh, as, I've, as I've been saying for a while, probably two plus weeks now, once the kind of wave ended, um, the smart money became the Hawks kind of rolling, rolling with this roster, which includes John Collins. And that could, that could certainly change. But for now, I'm expecting them to kind of roll with what they have at this point in time. And last week, by the way, I did some roster reset stuff. So if you want to hear more about the roster as it stands now, check out the podcast from a few days ago. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast, it worked from our sponsors on the show. And the first of which is Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar's Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor as well. It's delicious. That's right. Bill has done it again. Let me introduce you to it now. And that is cookie dough chunk puffs. They have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of actually having to make it. Plus, it's healthy for you. Artistic calories and only 15, sorry, a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. Run to boat.com right now, stack, snag a box for yourself or your family. It's the perfect treat for you. Or you can find a really good hiding place to hide them for yourself if you want to do that. But like all Built Bars, the cookie dough chunk puffs are healthy and tasty. What's great about Built Bars is that all their bars are made with collagen protein as well, which your body can help absorb more efficiently. That's, uh, they have a ton of health benefits as a result of that. Eat something that tastes good and it's actually good for you. You're going to absolutely love the new flavor, cookie dough chunk puff. And whether you need a snack or your workout or whatever you want to do, late night treats, grab a quick bite. Built is a perfect protein bar for you because it tastes like a candy bar or even better than that. Plus, it's very healthy for you. Ditch the calories, ditch the fat, ditch the sugar, and grab a Built Bar today and go to Built.com to do that. Use promo code LOCK15, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. All right, and the next question on the podcast comes from Zeus, who asks, what do you think about Seth Partnow's tears on the athletic? I was pretty surprised by a few of the spots for the Hawks, and I'm wondering if you agree. So it's been a little while now since this actually came out. And Seth, by the way, is a friend of mine, friend of the podcast. I've been on his show before, et cetera. He started rolling out his semi-annual tier breakdowns of players in the NBA during Summer League. I never got to it because it was during Summer League and there was plenty of stuff to get to on the Hawks front. So I'm glad that Zeus and a few other people mentioned this in mailbag form so I can get to it on the podcast. Um, broadly speaking, I don't think this is anything like crazy to get worked up about because there are definitely some stuff that I disagree with in this uh, tier breakdown from Seth, but that's kind of part of the fun here both Hawk stuff and otherwise. Also, he always says, and I'm just going to quote him here, these are not rankings. Um, tiers are different than rankings. They are kind of groupings in that way. And players are still grouped, though, in rough ranking styles. Like, I gives you kind of an outline of how this stuff lays out. But I would say don't get too mad about this. I understand, and I will kind of talk about the Hawks guys now that I saw and uh, sort of re will reflect on this list. Um, overall, the Hawks had six guys on this list, which is basically the top 125 or so in the NBA 
that's kind of what you would expect, especially after the Herder trade. I think Herder is also in this group, but he's not on the team anymore, obviously, and nobody else on the roster is. The guy that I think would be the most quote unquote controversial would be would be a Kongwu is not listed. That is reasonable, I think, because of how little he has played to this point. I do think that just just basically talent wise, like how well he's played when he has played, I think tier five would have been totally fine for a Kongwu. But I think the sample size is so small and the role has been so small on the Hawks roster that I'm not you know, upset about that. He is already quite good, though. I think he'll be uh, rising in the near future, especially if he's playing, playing more in the, on the Hawks roster or whatever's going to happen there at center. But I think Kong was the only guy that you might even have a small gripe about. Everybody else, you know, as much as I love Justin Holiday, he probably shouldn't be on this list, et cetera. So I'll go through, I'll go through the guys who were listed in the, in the top 125 or so for the Hawks. The lowest guys were Bogdanovich and Capella. Uh, Bogdanovich first was in tier 4B last year, which is like the top 85, 90 of the league. This year, top he's actually in tier 5A, which basically roughly ranks about 85 to 125. So somewhere between a top 100 to top, uh, top 125 player. Um, that's appropriate for Bogdanovich based on how well he played last year. He was not quite as good last year as he was the previous year, which was definitely foreseeable. Bogdanovich was incredible in the second half of the season two years ago, leading the Hawks on that big run they made. He shot 49% from three on a huge volume, which is ridiculous. He basically made every shot for two months. But last year, he was still very effective offensively. This is the sort of level for a starting caliber wing, which is Bogdanovich. That's what he is at this point in time. I know he's going to come off the bench probably this year for the Hawks. I think he'll be a legitimate six-man of the year contender this year for Atlanta, but this is a totally fine ranking for where he is right now, especially when you factor in the potential for some delayed arrivals because of his injury. He's going to miss most of the summer. He is aging defensively, getting a little bit worse on that end of the floor. So there's a, a lot to like with Bogdanovich, but I think this is a totally fine ranking and tier placement for where he actually is. Um, Capella is too low on this list. Uh, last year, he was tier 4A. He falls two tiers down to, to tier 5A, which is the same spot that McDonough is in. That is too low. I've said this a lot on the show, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but I think that Capella was very much unfairly maligned for last year's performance. I think he is definitely a top 80 player in the league right now, probably even six, top 60 or 70 for me in the league. Uh, even metrics last year, while some people were frustrated by, listen, I understand his finishing was not great last year on the whole. Etc. But I think that if you look at all the advanced metrics, he was still like top 50, 60 player in the league last season. He was not quite as good as he was the year before. He was like absolutely dominant, but he is still a top tier defender. He's an absolutely elite rebounder. He's a super valuable player. And I think that he should be at least one tier above where he is here. Um, thinking that Capella is not a top, top, top 85 player is just kind of silly at this point. That's too low for him. And I will stand on that on this podcast. Okay. From there, um, this is probably the one that is most controversial other than Capella being a little bit too low is DeAndre Hunter being a little bit too high. Um, he is actually in tier four B, which roughly approximates number 60 through 84 on the list. Now, as discussed a ton on the show, Hunter was not this good last year. Um, I don't want to go over the whole thing again, but, uh, I like Hunter still as a prospect. He has room to grow. He has shown it a little bit in flashes from two years ago in particular, but there is no world um, on paper, on the floor, on film, in the numbers, anywhere to find a top 85 player in what he was last year. I want to say that again, in what he was last year. And this is a present day list. Um, I think it's very, very possible that Hunter could earn this placement this upcoming season with a jump in his ability and a, and a, and a sort of improvement across the board. He has the talent to do that. But simply put, like this is, this is only one way to do this, but he, there is no world in which Hunter should be in a higher tier than Capella in a present day ranking. Play Capella is a lot better right now today. I want to say again, again, right now today or last year than DeAndre Hunter. Now, if you think Hunter might be better in the future, I have no argument with that. That's possible. That might even be probable. 
on some level, but this is not a, this is not a future value list. This is a present day, this season kind of list. And there's a little bit of too much projection there. Again, it wouldn't surprise me if he earns this for next year, but based on what he's done so far on the floor, that's a little bit high for him. In fact, uh, the other guy in the tier, the same tier with him is John Collins. That's totally fine. I think Collins being in a 60 to 84 line is totally fine with me. Uh, he could be a little bit, you could certainly argue, and I think I actually probably would argue that he's actually should be a tier higher than this. But because of last year, the way it ended, his numbers were a little bit down, et cetera, this does not bother me at all for his placement. But it is very funny to me that he and Hunter are in the same tier. John Collins has been leaps and bounds better than DeAndre Hunter in their career so far. Um, there's basically never been a time where Hunter was better than Collins on the floor for any extended period of time. Um, you know, maybe, again, long-term upside. If you are just the biggest DeAndre Hunter fan, you might argue that his upside is higher because it's just the position that he plays, six, eight wings, et cetera. That's not crazy. But I think that right now it's not even close between these two players in terms of what, uh, in terms of who's done more, who's been more efficient, um, et cetera. So there's some weird backlash to this. I, I got some comments back about um, from, from some people that I guess are big Hunter fans. They were talking about how much better he is than Collins right now. That's just not the case. I don't mean to say that to put Hunter down. That's not necessarily the case. I know I'm pretty, pretty high on Collins, but there is, again, there's basically no argument on the stat sheet or really with any kind of metric or anything like that, that says that Hunter is better than Collins right now. That just doesn't exist anywhere. So it's entirely projection based and I get that, but um, in terms of what they've actually done at this point, Hunter uh, should not be in the same tier as Collins, but alas, I think the Collins ranking is totally fine. Capella is too low. Hunter is a little bit too high for what he's done so far. Uh, and then, of course, the last two guys that are, that are the highest on this list are DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. Uh, DeJounte is in Tier 4A for Seth. That is the players between 40 and 60 in the NBA. That might seem a little, might seem a little bit low. Um, just for, that's kind of, kind of a weird uh, wide tier break. Um, players like Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi and Mikhail Bridges, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brunson, DeAndre Ayton, Darius Garland, Brandon Ingram, Tyrese Maxey are in this list. Um, I think it's largely fine. I could certainly understand thinking he should be a tier above this. And I think last year he was a top 40 player in the league. So uh, if you go on last year alone, he should be a little bit higher than this. There is a little bit of question I've asked around, of course, during summer league and when, when the trade happened, et cetera. Um, around the league, there's a little bit of skepticism about Murray and how good he actually is compared to last season. Everyone agrees he's, he's a good player. But as discussed with Matthew Tynan a little bit last uh, last week on the show, his defense kind of took a little, little bit of a step back last year, et cetera. And uh, we'll see how he actually fares next to Troy Young. But at minimum, this is totally fine for him. If anything, he should be higher. But I'm not like terribly offended by where he is on this list. I do think, though, that he's better than a couple guys that are in the tier above him. So that's kind of always how this is with you know personal preference and all that stuff. I think Murray is certainly a top 35, 40 player in the league. So it's a little bit low for him, but it's not like crazy, crazy, crazy. And then Trey. Uh, Trey is in tier 2B, and which is basically players like 11 through 15 or so. Um, that kind of second tier, obviously, tier 2. Um, he's in the same tier as James Harden, John Morant, and Anthony Davis. Just for some examples there, he is behind, at least a half tier behind, Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler. Um, that's a pretty appropriate place for Trey, I think, when you factor in his defense. I do think that Trey is unequivocally a top seven, eight, nine offensive player in the league, maybe even as high as top five offensive player in the league. He is incredibly, incredibly good on offense. Defensively, obviously, he is not good, and that's not a huge secret. Um, so when you throw that in, I think him being a top 15 player is totally fine range for him. He can be better than that, I think, in the future. I think the only thing that I would, I would sort of quibble with is that he's actually behind Jimmy Butler. Um, that's kind of a preference thing because Butler has been incredible in the playoffs. Last year in the playoffs, same thing. Year before that, bubble, et cetera. Jimmy is a playoff player. And, of course, those two-way defensive wings are hugely valuable. 
in the regular season, I think Trey was better, like pretty much by a lot this year than Butler. But obviously, that's kind of like which which do you prefer? I do I do understand that there's both sides of that. And also, Trey had that disaster playoff series against Butler, and was obviously not one on one with Butler. But that is that is one knock right now against Trey. And I'm I'm glad for his sake that he had that playoff run two years ago, where he actually did prove that he's a he's a quality playoff player. Because last year he was really bad. It was one series that was a disaster playoff series, but. I think overall him being top 15 in the league is totally appropriate. And that's where he probably should be. So no qualms there. Uh, yeah, that's kind of all I have on the tier front, but overall you're never going to agree with everything that somebody like Seth has or anybody. I'm sure with myself, I'm sure people that think that I'm too high on Capella or too high on Collins or too low on Hunter or whatever it's going to be. Um, I definitely get it. I think that, that the six guys who are on the tier list are the correct six guys. Um, and there you go. Those are the, those are the Hawks top six players. Um, from there, you know, Kong was obviously a quality guy. Uh, Justin Holiday is a quality player, et cetera. But there's a little bit less depth on this roster than there was previously. And we've, we'll, of course, get into that even more in the future. But we've already touched on it a little bit on the podcast. And I'm sure Seth's been yelling at a lot. Um, but those are my little qualms with what he had to answer the question that came from, yeah, uh, from Zeus. Thank you for the question on the podcast. Okay, quick break to hear from our sponsors. We'll come back and uh, wrap up the show with a couple more questions. All right, at least one more here on the podcast from Mel who says, talk me out of putting my bank account on the Hawks over. Uh, and then he says he's kidding, uh, he or she. I, actually, I'm not sure if it's, uh, so my apologies. I kid, but I really think that they're going over was the rest of the response from Mel. I'll say this, I am planning some extensive, extensive, I should say, Eastern Conference content in the near future, kind of setting the tone for where the Hawks are facing this year across the East. And I'm sure later on in the summer into the fall, I will have my customary over-under breakdowns with Robbie Calland. I do love the over-under game, kind of just picking win totals over and over. That's always a fun experience. But with that said, our friends at Bet Online did release their over-unders in the last week or so. This is pretty early on. Uh, in fact, there's a couple of teams that are not listed because of obvious reasons that I'll mention in a second. But the numbers are out. Um, I'm going to leave the West off for now because this is more of an Easter Conference, you know, Hawks-based endeavor at the moment. But the numbers as of early, sorry, as of, as of the end of July, um, Boston is number one in the East. They're actually off the board as of as I record this because of the KD rumors, I believe, that they're going to keep those off the board for now. And I think it would go up, but it was actually 53 and a half wins. It would probably go higher if they got Kevin Durant. Um, they should be the highest number in the East. They are the reigning Eastern Conference champions, and they got better in the offseason uh, with the addition of Gallo and also um, Malcolm Brogdon, more so Brogdon than Gallo, honestly. But they are super deep, and regular season-wise, Boston is going to be uh, very, very loaded after the way they played last year. Um, also, they're currently the highest in the league. Um, higher than the Clippers, the Suns, and the Warriors in the West. No qualms there. Milwaukee's 52.5. They're right there behind Boston. Then Philadelphia at 50.5. Miami at 50. Toronto at 45.5 is uh, number five. Um, sorry, number six. We'll get into that. The Hawks are number five. Um, Chicago is, is 44. Cleveland's 44 as well. Charlotte and Washington are sort of in their own tier at 36.5 for Charlotte and 35.5 for Washington. Then you get into Detroit at 27.5. Orlando at 26. Indiana at 25 and a half. And there are two more teams that were never listed, and that is Brooklyn and New York. Um, Brooklyn because of the KD stuff, of course, and the Knicks because of the Donovan Mitchell stuff. So that's all a little bit guessing. We'll see where they all slot, um, but that's kind of the groupings right now. And the Hawks right now at Bet Online, as I record this, are at 46 and a half wins. That places them um, kind of almost in their own mini tier, but definitely, you know, three and a half wins behind Miami, who is number four, and uh, about a win ahead of Toronto. They actually opened 47 and a half and went down, which I thought was a little bit notable and that somebody's betting the under on the Hawks. I'm not really sure that per, who that person is. I think it's a pretty appropriate number of 47 and a half. I think I, a number in this range is kind of what I expected for the Hawks. 
I will hold off, of course, on a real deep dive here and say that for later on the offseason. But I would kind of lean over at 46 and a half wins. Um, I probably have them somewhere in the high 40s right now, 47 to 49, maybe 50 wins. If I had to pick win total right now for the Hawks, I thought on that whole, I have plenty of work to do in preparation for the season. But I think, you know, the Hawks won 43 last year with kind of a disaster season. And the roster is more talented than it was a year ago with Murray on the roster. There's still there's some, some depth questions. I know there's always uh, Hawks fans that are optimistic. They don't want to say that they're in the same tier as the top four teams. This is kind of where I expect them to be. I think that I, you will not see many people. I'm not going to say nobody. I will, you will not see many national folks project the Hawks to be ahead of Boston and Milwaukee, Philly, and Miami. Um, I think if I had to pick a team for the Hawks to be better than that group, it'd be Miami. I think Miami without Tucker and uh, with an, another year on uh, Jimmy Butler's tires might be a little bit um, less effective. Same with Kyle Lowry, who's another year older as well. And of course, Philly is tied to Joel Embiid. If Embiid is healthy, then they are really good. If he is not, then they are not so good. Um, Milwaukee and Boston are sort of explanatory with Boston running everybody back. And of course, Milwaukee having Giannis. Um, but I think the Hawks are in that range with Miami and Toronto, something like that for the four, five, six spots. Um, I do like the Hawks better than Chicago and Cleveland. That's a pretty appropriate place for them. I think that there's one team below the Hawks that I think might, might be better than the Hawks. Potentially is Toronto. I would have the Hawks ahead of them, but I do understand that thought process. So it's obviously really early at this point in time. There are depth concerns. We'll see how Bogdanovich looks when he gets back. Um, any other major injuries popping up? The Hawks are going to definitely need Trey and DeJounte to be healthy and durable, which they should be. But at the same time, nothing is assured at this point. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the numbers right now. They're out there as, as of the end of July. I love this kind of stuff. We'll have much, much more over-unders and Easter Conference play- playoff stuff and preview con- preview content in the near future. I'm, I'm have a couple experts lined up to talk about the other teams in the league. It's a good time to sort of take stock in the offseason to see like how the Hawks match up with other teams. Like you know Brooklyn, if they have KD, but Brooklyn, if they don't have KD. The Knicks are now a different team with the likes of Jalen Brunson already on the on the board, and then maybe also adding Mitchell at some point in the near future. So we'll catch up on all that later on, but that's what we have right now. And then over-unders are out. So BetOnline is a sponsor of this podcast. Check it out over there at BetOnline.net. Lastly, on the podcast, a question from Joseph, who says, are you going to take a break in the offseason? Some of us are worried about your health. <laughs> Thank you, Joseph, for your concern. Um for podcast purposes, not really a break. Uh, long-time listeners probably know this already, but we usually have like four to six episodes per week during the season, uh, depending on when games land, et cetera. And then during the early summer, when the draft and summer league and free agency are happening, I still am on that four or five show a week kind of pass, summer league, et cetera. Um, now, this stretch between like right now, maybe, you know, late July into training camp, it's like about a two, you know, eight week span where there's not a whole lot going on, generally speaking. I'm going to kind of ramp it down to like two or three per week unless something big, something big happens. If we get more than that, we get more than that. I have no problem going more than that, but um, no actual breaks on the podcast, maybe a couple days at a time, but not, not nothing like a full week, something like that. Unless something crazy happens to me. I will be, I've been traveling for almost all of July between summer league and then a current work trip that I'm on for my day job, which you can see in the background if you are watching on YouTube. But um, to answer the question, I have about a week of true vacation in September um, just before training camp that I'm going to take, but I'm going to sort of pre-schedule episodes to run during that time. So no concerns there about the podcast is disappearing. I also still have the day job and multiple other jobs between dime and sports line and baseball coverage and all that, all that fun stuff. So that stuff is still ramping up right now. You know, the Braves are still in season right now. So no true breaks other than that one week of September, I'm actually taking a vacation and actually travel a little bit during that. But 
We'll be here grinding. I do appreciate all this, all the concern and, uh, by the way, the support of people checking out the podcast and everything else that I do. I am quite busy by nature because of the day job plus multiple part-time jobs, including this one. But uh, I do try to have my full-time level of attention and energy paid to the Hawks, as I hopefully as, as hopefully shows on this podcast. But thank you for the question, and that's sort of the schedule for the offseason. So we are now fully into offseason mode. As of this week, it will definitely be uh, – I would say probably a maximum of three, maybe four on occasion episodes per week. But if something uh, big happens, like a trade, then we'll obviously pour into that. But in the meantime, two, three episodes a week for the next eight weeks or so. And then training camp's going to be here before you know it. And then the Hawks go overseas. They're playing uh, for the first time ever in the UAE in October. And then the season sort of wraps up from there. And we'll be uh, full all in with 82 games of full coverage on this podcast. So if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Please subscribe to the show across platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course, YouTube. If you are someone who likes to support the show, however they possibly can, multiple subscriptions are great. So Apple and Spotify or Apple and Stitcher or Apple, Stitcher and Spotify. Plus YouTube's an easier one. Go ahead and, go ahead and like the show on YouTube. That's a huge way to do that and subscribe and then uh, watch that in the background or whatever else you, else you want to do on the podcast. Also leave five-star ratings and reviews across platforms. Apple and Spotify, of course, five stars are very, very helpful. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And we'll see you later on in the week.